Well, good morning, Westridge. So we're uh, 35 minutes away from a whole new season of disappointment. Just kidding. Sensitive bear fans. Um, we're finishing this three-part series today entitled Take a Walk on the Live Side. We're trying to look at Jesus in the Gospels and define life for us in the here and now. We're trying to look past the liturgies and the ceremonies and the traditions and the rules to the life that Jesus promised us. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. So if we can get an unobstructed view of Jesus, maybe we can begin to live just a little bit more. I hate, I hate it that, that, that I'm at the age where I tell YWAC stories. Any of you at that age, when I was a kid, stories? So, you're in for a treat today. I've got another one for you. Um, If you're of a certain age and you know who you are, uh, you will remember that uh, when you were young, just about everyone you knew went to church. I even lived in a state that had what was called a blue law. Do we know what this is? Yeah, so no shopping on Sundays except for food and a few other necessary items. The daily newspaper that my parents had delivered to their house had at the top Scripture of the Day printed every single day of the year, above the headline, a verse of Scripture. And uh, schools were not allowed to schedule anything ever on Sundays or on Wednesday night. Those were for church, even if you didn't go. Can't compete with the church. And believe it or not, every day for the first eight years of my public school education, every day, we stood and we opened class by saying the Pledge of Allegiance and the Lord's Prayer. Every single day. First thing in class. Now, I I probably don't have to tell you that that world may as well have been in the 17th century today. That's not a world that exists anywhere in this country today. That Dick and Jane world of my 60s, it's over. It's washed away. More changes in the last 50 years than in the previous 500 years. And so whether we like it or not, God's chosen us to live in some pretty interesting times. And interesting times can be unpredictable, chaotic, maybe even a little dangerous. The future can no longer be an assumption of the past. And so this is an extraordinary moment in history. God, I think, wants us to do some extraordinary things. But often, old structures have to come down before renewal is seen. And the reality of the church in America today could not be as more different from the 60s than it is. Today, the condition of the church in America would have to be labeled at best fragile. Church attendance is sliding. Whole denominations are shrinking. The church in this country is like a house perched on the side of a California coast in a rainstorm. It's only a matter of time. Many churches are just a few funerals away from total demise. So, uh, we're going to have to take a look at that. We're going to have to approach that with eyes wide open. Blind men leading, blind men still end up in a ditch. And so I want us to take just a few moments and uh, open our eyes 
see if we can begin to live just a little bit more meaningfully in this high-velocity world. Here's eye-opener number one. Live in the world. Too many churches have responded to changes in the spiritual landscape by circling the wagons and by either physically or culturally checking out. I call this the hunker-in-the-bunker mentality. Barricade building, trench digging, wall bricking. It comes from dreaming about the past, demeaning the future. And the truth of the the hunker-in-the-bunker survivalism, the truth about it is it doesn't come from Jesus and it doesn't come from the Bible. Jesus calls us to live in the world, not of the world, without removing ourselves from the world. Now, you can read more about that in John chapter 17. Increasingly asking others to come to church in today's spiritual landscape is simply not enough. The message when we gather like this together on Sunday is go to the world. That's not a new message. Those are the marching orders that Jesus gave his followers. Matthew's gospel says it like this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, the form of the word go used in this text is not the focus of the command. The imperative is make disciples. And so the verse has the following sense. Therefore, as you go... Wherever you may happen to go, above all else, make disciples of all nations, literally all ethnic groups. There's no other imperative in this verse. The problem with the hunker in the bunker mentality is that it makes Jesus into a savior from the world, not the savior of the world. I've observed over the last few years that churches can become like gated communities designed to keep people in and reality out. To live in the world, not of the world, means that we engage culture the way Jesus did. And so when you take a look at him in the Gospels, how did he engage culture? How did he interact with the world around him? He could have set up a monastery on a hill in Galilee. And in that monastery, he could have set up visitation times. He probably could have had people lined up around the hill waiting to come into his presence and see him. He could have done that. But when you take a look at the picture of Jesus in the Gospels, what do you see? You see Him living in the world. You see Him going to parties. You see Him debating the best minds of the day. You see Him walking in the marketplace. He saw the good, the bad, the ugly. He hung out with shady characters because really, there are no other kinds to hang out with. Some, for whatever reason, have confused being in the world with being of the world. The example that Jesus left us is that separation and engagement go together. The best way to make disciples is not to run and hide from culture, but to learn its language, to learn its media, and engage it on a higher level. This passage from Matthew and other Gospels have long been interpreted as geographical. Go to faraway places. Go into the world, meaning go around the world. Go to distant countries, and certainly that's part of it. But can also be interpreted as go into all of society. Go into all realms of social life. Engineering, commerce, art, law, architecture, teaching, health care. 
go into all those realms and inspire people to be disciples. The only alternative to engaging culture is to become the Amish of the 21st century. There is no safe bunker in which we can hunker. And we don't have to be afraid of living in the world because Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I opener number two. Live as a learner. I was reading this week in the Harvard Business Review an article entitled, The Best Leaders Are Insatiable Learners. And in it, the author writes what he calls personal renewal, the urgent need for leaders who want to make a difference and stay effective to commit themselves to continue to learning and growing. He says, we have to face the fact that most men and women out there in the world of work are more stale than they know, more bored than they would care to admit. Boredom, he says, is the secret ailment of large-scale corporations. Now, that's a great article, but I, I didn't learn that first from the Harvard Business Review. I learned that first from Jesus, being an insatiable learner. But the article did remind me of the most damaging criticism leveled at the church today, I think, and that is this. It's boring. Don't want to go. It's too, it's, it's too boring. And I'm thinking, argue with us, investigate us, criticize us, join us, but don't say we're boring. If the charge of boring is true, it's because we've obstructed the view of Jesus in church. He was anything but boring. And so he calls us to learn from him, and it's meant to be a lifetime calling. That's the imperative of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28, to become a disciple. A disciple is a learner. And so in the New Testament, uh, the term Christian is what others called disciples. It's not what they called themselves. In the first century, people knew about the life of Jesus. And they saw these early followers acting like Jesus because they were learning from Jesus. They said, oh, there, there goes those little Christs. There's that, there's that bunch that are Christ followers. We become disciples First, and then others notice us following Jesus and they call us Christ followers or Christians. Now, you can call yourself a Christian and still not be a disciple. But Jesus calls you to be a disciple, someone who learns from Him. And so, if you are a disciple, the natural question is what have you learned from Him this week? Life is learning. We learn by doing. And so the next question is, what have you done this week that was motivated by the fact that you're a disciple that you wouldn't otherwise have done had you not made that commitment to Him? See, I think, I think part of the reason the world is no longer interested in what we have to say is that they sense that too many in the church stopped being learners a long time ago. In today's world where information is instant and constant, some of you are checking real-time news as I speak, the question I think they're asking is tell me what Jesus taught you this week, not 20 years ago. And one of the reasons we've ceased being learners is we only hang out with people like us. People that look like us, talk like us, think like us. But we learn the most when we encounter people who are least like us. 
which is part of the reason Jesus says, go into, not away from, the world. That's where you'll encounter people unlike you, and that's where you'll learn the most. Change is life. Stagnation is death. If you don't change, you die. Long before physical death occurs, you see people who have just checked out. They've given up on life. They've learned all they're going to learn. They're just going through the motions. So we can call ourselves anything we want, but if we're not currently learning and growing and doing and following Jesus, we're dead, not alive. Jesus calls us to life, not just any life, life to the fullest. So he says, go into all the world and tell my story. He didn't tell us how to do that in the Gospels because there will always be new ways, new technologies. And if we're learners, we'll learn those new ways at every season of life, every period of history. And we won't cling to ineffective and outdated traditions. I mean, the American church has never done that, have they? Clung to ineffective traditions that no longer work just because they're comfortable? That means the Gospel is communicated in whatever wherever, whenever form. You're not growing if you're not learning. And you're not living if you're not growing. And you're not loving if you're not living. That's the final step to the life side. The essence of life is love. You inspire others to become disciples every time you show them the love of Jesus. The inability to inspire others to start living is not a lack of training. It's not a lack of knowledge, though those things are nice. The problem is we don't love enough. Did you have to go to a training class to talk about your children or grandchildren? Yeah, before I can brag about my kids or my grandkids, I've got to go to this special class to to tell me how to show my kids pictures or my grandkids. Because I wouldn't know how to do that otherwise. You don't have to do that. You love them so much, you can't stop spreading good news and new pictures with anyone who will listen. You need to attend a workshop to learn how to talk about your hobby, your golf game, your favorite sports team, your dogs, your collectibles. They're always on the tip of your tongue because they're tucked away next to your heart. So, let me give you some real practical tips as we close this out with regard to what you can do to inspire others to be disciples. Here's tip number one. Pray every day, Lord, I'm available. You show me today who most needs your love, and I'll do my best to express that to them. Tip two. When you're confronted with something new in culture, love first and judge later. The pace of change is unprecedented for you and me. We can't keep up with everything. And the reflex reaction to judge first and love later is tough. Now let me give you a real practical illustration of this. So we don't end up on some sort of theoretical basis. Um, Last weekend was the North Coast Music Festival in Union Park. Just a few blocks from our condo. Um, I found out about the North Coast Music Festival because I was standing out on our porch and I heard the pounding, mindless beats of music four and a half blocks away. That's how I found out about it. Okay. Um, so that got my interest. And then I, then I started watching the hordes of young people 
streaming down the sidewalk toward the park past our condo on Madison in various manner of undress. Uh, Particularly noteworthy were the number of young ladies wearing these knee-high fur boots. Do we know about these kids? Knee-high fur boots, sometimes rainbow colors. It's new to me. Uh, And and bare midriffs. I I was going to show you a slide of some pictures I took, but I knew I didn't want to make Pastor Darren blush because I know how sensitive he is. It, it, it was hard to describe what they weren't wearing going to this concert. I mean, I thought I was in a bad episode of Star Trek from 1966. They literally uh, sprinkles on their face, and uh, they literally looked otherworldly. So, you know, I had a response there as a disciple. I could have been the cranky old man on the fifth floor. Go put some clothes on and turn that music down. It's on 11. I could have done that. But I thought, well, I mean, they, to me, they literally were otherworldly. And what's the command here? Go into the world, not away from the world. Now, how do I, how do I go into the world? Not by wearing rainbow-colored fur boots and, and certainly not by bearing my midriff. That would really be... Not a pre-site. So I went on the website to learn more about the festival. Because that's how you go into their world. I found out uh, tickets were $100 a day. I don't know how they afforded that and the boots, but somehow they came up with the dough. Uh, and, And then I looked at the acts that were listed on the website, and I found out that some of my favorite groups were performing there. Um, Cashmere Cat, um, Dr. Dog, Riff Raff, and my favorite, Wicket the Instigator. They were all playing there. There was only one name I recognized, and that was Snoop Dogg. And that's only because we sat close to him in an L.A. Clipper game some years ago, and my daughter pointed out who he was. I still don't know really why I know who he is, but that's the only name that I saw. So I was tempted to castigate these teens for for their fashion faux pas, for their mindless music. But then I had to think, no, that's that's not the first response of a disciple. So whether it's new technology, new literature, film, political ideas, architecture, art, theater, choose to withhold judgment... And love first. You can always judge later if you love first. But if you judge first, you may not always be able to love later. It's called ethical patience. The ability to hear and understand culture on its own terms before seeking to critique it. I can't tell you how many... (laughs) How many churches around the country I've been in where I hear people pontificating on third-hand information about astrophysics, biotechnology, educational philosophy, postmodern literature, art history, with no first-hand research. Not only is that intellectually dishonest, it's almost always a losing strategy when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus. So here's here's the last tip. When you're confronted with the question of faith or life, that you can't otherwise answer because culture is changing so rapidly. None of us can stay up with it 24-7. When you're confronted with that, say the most intelligent thing. And that is, 
I don't know. Disciples are learners, not know-it-alls. The problem isn't disciples who don't know enough. It's disciples who don't love enough. So don't look for life and love in all the wrong places, okay? Leave it to C.S. Lewis to sum this series up. All that we call human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. Life is not a lesson in permanence. It's a very brief adventure. So, go ahead. Take a chance. Get a life. If Christ is risen, we will all be changed. And change means I don't have to stay the same tomorrow as I was yesterday or I am today. And living means learning growing and loving so keep praying Lord break me into little pieces and rebuild me so I can start living